Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The secret to boldness. Many people are amazed. They're amazed at the boldness of certain preachers. I have people that write me in all the time saying, how do you get the boldness to do what you do? How do you get the boldness to preach the way you preach? How do you get the boldness to, when you're casting out a demon, it doesn't even phase you. You just give the command in the name of Jesus and there's no fear in your eyes. Where does that boldness come from? They marvel. When they see someone speak, you know, there's some ministers, when they cast out demons, it's like scary to be around, not the demon, around the preacher because there's a fire in their eyes. Where does that boldness come from? Where did Jesus get the boldness to do what he did? Where did the apostles carry on with that same boldness? You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, they perceive the boldness of Peter and John. The boldness they had set them apart from, they, these guys aren't regular preachers. These guys aren't regular ministers. Even the highly trained elite up in the hierarchy of religion noted Peter and John because of one thing, their boldness. And they recognized them as having been with Jesus. Where does that boldness come from? Where does that boldness come from? What is the source of that boldness? You know, many people think that just because we're born again, we're going to automatically have a surge of boldness coming out of our spirit man, and we're just going to run around like lunatics ready to take the world for Jesus. But that's not the case because there's a lot of Christians. They're, they're in Christ. They're going to heaven, but they lack that boldness. They still have that timidity. They still have that shyness. They still have that, that uh, intimidation factor in themselves, the fear of man, the fear of Satan, the fear of this. So why haven't they overcome that? Why, what is lacking for people to overcome that? Why isn't it that someone just gets saved, born again, and automatically they have the boldness? Of, why don't they have that automatic download or deposit from heaven of boldness for Christ, where they start doing things they, that are abnormal to what their human tendencies were before coming to Christ? You know, many people think when they're born again, all of a sudden they're going to sudden this, suddenly feel this feeling of boldness. But I'm going to tell you something, that feeling of boldness, it may never come. And just being born again does not mean that you automatically walk in boldness and you automatically, you're going to feel that, that, that emotion. Boldness is not an emotion. Boldness is not a feeling. Boldness is an action. Boldness is a step that you take. And it's rooted in one thing. I'm going to get in that. You know, I was reading a book and it was talking about how NASA launched this satellite into space a couple of years back. And it cost them $150 million to launch the project. And when they launched it, they miscalculated. They miscalculated it so that it didn't land on the proper orbit around Earth. And because of that, because it wasn't orbiting on the right orbit... They weren't able to receive transmissions, nor were they able to send transmissions to the satellite, and so it was completely useless. It was in space, it was in orbit, but it was in the wrong orbit, and as such, it wasn't useful. It, was, uh, it wasn't profitable. They were expecting for that satellite, one satellite to generate $2 billion of profit. I don't know if that was annually or whatnot, but that was, that was the expectation, but... 
because of miscalculations, it was on the wrong orbit. So what did they do? They didn't just give up on the, the, the project. There's a lot of people, they, well, I've never felt, I don't have that type of boldness. Well, I guess I'm not called to be, to be like that. I guess I, I've had my, I have another part to play in the body of Christ. No, just because you don't have, you don't, you, you know, you don't have that boldness or you're not acting out or operating in that boldness right now doesn't mean that you're not called to be bold. It just means you have to recalculate a few things. So what did they do? NASA had rockets that were stationed on the left and the right of the satellite and they fired off those rockets and they realigned it back into the proper orbit where it was able to receive transmission and it became profitable. See, the, space, the satellite was in space. You're born again. You've been born from above. You're no longer on the earthly level anymore or the earthly realm. You operate on the spiritual realm in the supernatural level. But just because you're born again doesn't mean you're going to receive and send out transmissions from heaven. You have to align yourself on the proper frequency. You have to align yourself with God's word. You need to come into divine alignment with certain revelations from the word of God that are going to unlock that level of boldness in you so that you can step out and become a profitable Christian. What do I mean by a profitable Christian? I mean a fruitful Christian. One who's casting out devils. One who's healing the sick. One who's unashamedly preaching the gospel. One who's doing what God's called him to do. Who's being an ambassador for Christ on the earth. So just because you haven't had that boldness to do all those things yet, doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You find out. And that's what I'm going to talk about. What, what are the secrets of bold men? What is the secret that causes them to be bold? You know, Peter and John, they weren't special people. It, they weren't bold because they were apostles. They were bold because of one thing. And this is what it is. This is the secret to boldness. Boldness is the product of the depth of understanding and insight you have of who you are in Christ. You're, the boldness you have will be matched up with the level of understanding and insight that you have of your position in Christ Jesus. You know, Jesus did not go through the agony of the cross just so that he can help you out a little bit, you know, give you, a, give you just a push on the swing. Jesus didn't go through the agony of the cross so that he can make life a little more comfortable for you. Jesus didn't go through the agony of the cross just so that you could, you know, be a better version of you. Jesus went through the agony of the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that he looked to the joy that was set before him. He despised, it, uh, he despised not the cross. He suffered its shame because he looked to the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? It wasn't you being a better version of you. The joy was, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ Jesus... He is a new creature, a new species of being, an entirely new specimen, something the world has never seen before. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, everything, everything has become new. I want you to put that out in the comment section. Everything has become new. That's right. It's not you have been a renovated version of the old you. It's not you're a remodeled you. It's not you're a renovated you. It's not you plus 
now you have a few extra things that are to your advantage. No. Every, the old you, what came on the human race because of the fall of Adam, what came on the human race because of, of the original sin, the sin nature, the thing that has robbed people of destiny, the thing that keeps people out of heaven, the thing that, that kills, steals, and destroys, that thief called sin and Satan has been done away with. Everything has become new. When God enters a person's life, he doesn't want to shift and change a few little furniture items around, but ultimately he's going to keep the structure of the place. No, it demo- that's why Paul said in Romans 6, he said that I have, I have been buried with Jesus in his crucifixion, in his death, I was buried with him and baptism is the, the, uh, the, the symbol of that. When we get baptized, we go down into the water and we come back up brand new, washed, clean. Paul says in Romans 6, verses 1 through 5, he says we were buried with him in baptism in conformity to his death. The old me died the moment I went down in those waters, the moment I was reborn, the moment I was regenerated. And when I came back up, this is what happened when you were born again. When you came back up, you were made alive in Christ Jesus And you now are a new species of being. Paul says it this way. Now we can walk in newness of life. Newness of life. Brand new. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1.3, Now God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue. So it's wonderful what I just said. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. All this passed away. Everything becomes new. Wonderful. But why is it that some people that are genuinely Christians can't seem to break free from their past? Their past thinking. Their past lifestyle. Their past way of doing things. I believe, according to 2 Peter 1.3, it's not because there's not power available to them. 2 Peter 1.3, we just read it. His divine power has been made available for all things that pertains to life and godliness. Everything you need to live a godly life. Everything you need to live a life that pleases God. Everything you need to be bold on the earth. Everything you need to walk out and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel into which you were called has already been made available to everyone that is born again. But the Bible says... Though it's available to life and godliness, the power that makes you godlike. That's what godliness means. Godlikeness. The power that infuses the nature of Christ in you, infuses the character of Christ in you, infuses the very power of Christ in and through you, is made available to you. The Bible says they are only accessible, according to 2 Peter 1.3, through the knowledge of Him who called us to glory and virtue. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that we have received the spirit of Christ in us and we have been made joint heirs with Christ Jesus. You know what a joint heir means? Everything Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't die so he can be better positioned in heaven. He was already the most high. 
The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God before He took on flesh. He had everything before He took on flesh and blood. He didn't die so that He can be better off. He died so that you can be better off. His triumph wasn't because He needed another victory on His belt. His triumph was so that we can enjoy in His triumph, that we can partake of His victory, so that we can partake of His glory. Romans 8 says that we have become joint heirs with Christ. He was already heir of all things. He was already owner. He said, I own all the silver and the gold. The earth is mine, the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to him. The Bible says he sits in the heavens and does whatsoever he pleases. So God didn't send Jesus because God needed another, you know, he needed to do something to further his agenda or to be a better God or to be a better person. He didn't do it for that. He did it for you. He did it for me. And Romans 8 says we've now become joint heirs with Christ. Everything Jesus died to obtain, he died to obtain it for you and for me. And this is why we need to pay attention to in Christ statements in the Bible. There are over 130 in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, by him, in whom statements laced throughout the entire New Testament, uh, specifically in the, in the words of Paul, in the epistles of Paul. And those in Christ statements are important because when you understand that what Jesus did, the Bible says, worthy is the lamb that was slain, who is worthy to receive all glory, all power, all honor, all riches, all dominion, all those wonderful things. When you understand, see, there's a lot of Christians that say all those things are Jesus's. Amen. They're all, they all belong to him. The Bible says, because you belong to Christ, all things are now yours. We've become partakers of that victory so the things jesus died to acquire he died to acquire for us that we can partake in those things and so when you read in christ you know we are more than conquerors through christ jesus who loved us you read that in christ jesus he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places so there's all kinds of statements in the bible that are in christ statements i always tell people a good practice to do is to take your highlighter and you highlight everything that precedes or proceeds the in Christ statement. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Highlight, I'm a new creation. Write it down. Maybe take a notepad and start writing down in Christ, I am, and then write down, I'm a new creation. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm forgiven and redeemed by his blood. I am I am called uh, to, to, be, to be more than a conqueror. I'm, I'm, I'm positioned above and not beyond. I'm ahead and not the tail. I'm above and not be beneath. You start to write those things down and then get them in your spirit. It'll transform you. That's where that boldness comes from, where you don't tolerate the onslaught of the devil anymore because you realize I'm in Christ. When I was out of Christ, all of, everything the devil would launch, an attack, every attack the devil would launch on me, I was fully positioned to receive, and it, legally, he had every right to do it. In Christ Jesus, it becomes illegal for the enemy to touch your house, to touch your family, to touch your body, to touch your finances. It becomes illegal. So then when you write in Christ statements down, and you, got to, you start meditating on them and studying them, and then you realize, hey, the Bible says in Christ Jesus... Uh, that, that I'm redeemed by his blood and forgiven according to the riches of his grace. So any thoughts of accusation or thoughts of condemnation or guilt, 
That's not my portion in Christ Jesus. You now have sufficient armory and weaponry from the word to take those thoughts of accusation down, arrest them, arrest that devil that's trying to bring you back into your past guilt and condemnation, and then break free. That's why Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It's the truth, but the known truth that sets you free. Not just any truth, the known truth. Do you know how many prisoners are wrongfully indicted and some have even been executed wrongfully? They never committed the crime it's all, and they're only wrongfully indicted because of one thing, the truth never came out. The truth was not known to the judge. And so you get to judge your life, what goes on in your life. You can overrule things. You can turn things away. You can take charge of your life. But if you don't know the truth, you're going to be wrongfully imprisoned. You're going to be wrongfully indicted. You're going to suffer unnecessarily at the hands of the devil in a prolonged manner simply because the truth is not known. That's why we're taking time today to talk about who you are in Christ and what it means to be engrafted into Jesus. The mystery of engraftment, you should definitely take time to study what it means to be grafted into Jesus. The word graft literally means to insert into another living tree or plant a branch so that the two can grow together as a single organism. To be grafted is an agricultural term and it means to take a dead branch or even a living branch, but in our case, we were dead in sin and in our unrighteousness and uh, sinfulness and lust of the flesh. And the Bible says we were grafted into Christ. We were that dead branch. Jesus is the living vine, the Bible says. Romans chapter 11 says we were grafted into Christ by faith. I studied a bit about engraftment. This is, this is what would happen. This is what happens when they try to, to graft in a, a diseased branch into a living tree so that it can, it can revive. What they do is the branch that fell and is diseased, it has a break. There's a wound on the branch. And what they'll do in order for it to be grafted in appropriately into the vine, they actually have to mimic the same wound onto the tree. They actually have to do the same incision onto the tree so that the branch can properly fit in. Remember, Jesus said, I am the vine. What did he do when he went to the cross? Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus suffered an identical, identical condition that we had pre-Calvary, before being born again, he suffered our condition in the flesh. He suffered sin in the flesh for all. He was wounded with the penalty of our sin. Why? He tasted of our death so that we can be grafted into him and partake of his life, to partake of his resurrection power, to partake of his eternal life. You know, eternal life is not just something that is valuable because of duration. Eternal life doesn't simply mean to live forever. Eternal life is the life, if you study in the original Greek, it means it's zoe, and it means the life of God, the very life force of God, the very nature of God, the very uh, 
quality of life that God enjoys. Jesus said, whoever believes on me will not perish, but he will have the very quality of life that God enjoys in him. And that's what happens when you get plugged in. Think of it as plugging in a, a, a branch into an electric port. The electricity that runs through the home now gets transmitted into that electric, that branch, which then powers your appliance. We were the appliance when we believed on Christ, we plugged in. And God's power was the electricity. God's life force was the electricity that now is transmitted in and through us so that we're not that old sinner wretched thing anymore. We've become a new thing. We've become a new species. And so quit calling, quit identifying yourself with your old nature. Quit identifying yourself with what you used to be. I just feel like I'm, I'm not the brightest kid out there. Maybe you weren't, but now you have the mind of Christ. So you have to adopt this mentality of oneness with Jesus. There's too many Christians that see Jesus as this far distant God who sits in heaven and then there's us. There's Jesus and then there's us. You have to understand that the letters of Paul are literally geared at making you understand your oneness with God, your oneness with Jesus. Listen to this. I wrote down some scriptures to prove this. There's over 130 scriptures that talk about in Christ, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list out maybe 10 or 15 that talk about your grafting into Jesus and you becoming one spirit with him and you not being this separate entity. You know, the Bible says you are the body of Christ. Well, if you have a head that's decapitated, the body ain't much good. And it's enough that we, it's been uh, too, for far too long, we've had this decapitated church. Where it's the body going around doing one thing, confessing one thing about itself, and then there's the head up in heaven. God wants his church to not be decapitated and severed. He wants his church to understand our union with Christ. There's the head, and we are the body. And I don't look at the body as any different than the head. I look at someone, you know, my neighbor. I don't go out and say, oh, I respect his, his head, but I beat on his body. No, his head and his body are one and I respect it as such. I respect him as such. A president of a nation. We don't see his head and his body as different. We see the head and the body as one. And we respect and revere the president of the nation in, in his totality. Well, it's the same with the body of Christ. The devil doesn't see the head separate from the body. He'll try and confuse the body and make it believe that it's separate from the head. But in reality, once the body understands that the head and the body are one... And the body takes up its rightful place in Christ. The devil has its work cut out for him. And he's got no choice but to flee. That's why the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. How do we resist the devil? By reminding him of our identity and position. Our DNA in Christ. So here are a couple of scriptures that prove. Because a lot of people, well, this guy thinks he's God. No, I'm not God. I am a born-again son of God, adopted into the family of God, and now baptized into the body of Christ, which is his church. And as such, part of the beauty and mystery of redemption is we become one with him. Listen to this, John 15 and 4. Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you. That's not abide in me and I'll, I'll be up there and you'll be down here. One day we'll be joined back together, but until then, you know, 
We're, we're, we're separated. We're separated until further notice. No, abide in me and I in you. Paul actually talks about redemption. He compares it to marriage in Ephesians 5. He talks, he, he talks about marriage, but then he says that what I'm talking to about marriage, I'm actually talking about redemption. I'm talking about your relationship with Christ. Could you imagine if I married my wife at the altar and then I just left her? He said, I'll see you in 15 years, 20 years, you know. Might stop by here and there, but you know. And that's how people, when they, when they feel the presence of God in a church, then they feel that God's with us. But then throughout the week, uh, he's in heaven and that's it, you know. No, no, you're not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, that God's spirit dwells in you, that you have become one spirit with Jesus by virtue of redemption. Whether I feel him or not, he's in me. I don't go by how I feel. I don't go by what I see. I don't go by what I hear. I go by what God's word says about me. And the word of God says, he's in me. Greater is he that is in you. Not greater is he that's in heaven. Greater is he that is in you. John 17, 20 to 23, Jesus prays this, his last prayer on earth. I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and that's me. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So what does he say? That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. God is, uh, Jesus was saying, just as the Father dwells in me and I dwell in him, that they, the church, the redeemed people of God, would be one in us. So that's not God, that we may be one, and that they, they'll be a close second. That's we may be one, and that they may be one in us. I mean, this puts a whole new picture of grace. It shows you what the victory of the cross really did. It wasn't just to get your sins forgiven so that one day you can make heaven. It was literally to reinstate the glory of Eden and the privilege that Adam enjoyed in Eden where he was clothed with God. The Bible says that when he sinned, he felt naked because the glory had departed. Well, when Jesus committed righteousness and obedience to the point of death, even the death of the cross, the glory of Eden was restored on us and a way was now made so that God could dwell once again in his people. He said in 2 Corinthians 6, depart from the unclean thing, touch it not, and I will receive you to myself. You will be sons and daughters to me, and I will be a father to you, and I will dwell with them, and I will walk in them. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why is it important to know this? Because if you think that Jesus is some far off being in the universe, then his spirit doesn't really dwell in you, that he's some far off being in the universe, then anytime you get into a jam or you're in a position where you need to be bold, you're always going to resort to, God, I need your help right now. Instead of, no, everything I need for life and godliness is in me now, and I can take authority over this problem. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, for he himself is our peace, going back to proof from the scripture that we've become one in Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, that which separated us from God. He abolished it in his flesh, the enmity that we had with God. Remember, we were enemies of God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and in James chapter 4. We were enemies of God. 
But he broke down that middle wall of separation so as to create in Jesus Christ one new man from the two. Hallelujah. God created in Jesus Christ, not apart from him, in Christ, a new man. And thus making peace. Colossians 1.27. To them, God willed, to who? The Gentiles. God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Paul always talks about this mystery of engraftment. He always talks about Christ being in us as a mystery. And the reason being is because this was a new thing. Even to the Jew. Even to the Jew. They could never conceive that God would dwell in them because they were old wineskins. Remember, Jesus said, new wine has to be put into new wineskins or else the wineskin is broken. They're not able to handle that level of information until you're born again. The Holy Spirit could not come to abide. Jesus cannot dwell in an atmosphere of sin. That's why we have to be washed by his blood, cleansed by his mercy, cleansed from all unrighteousness so that we could be an adequate housing unit for Christ to come and dwell in. That's why Paul's saying this is a mystery. It's a mystery because it's never yet been conceived. This type of, this type of blessing, it's unimaginable. It's unimaginable that God would actually dwell in people. So Paul says, this is the mystery. What is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ where? Christ in heaven, the whole, Christ in you. I'm taking time on this because you have to understand your identity with Christ. You have to understand your new creation realities. You have to understand what redemption has positioned you to be. You know, I, I always say this. Whenever you read your Bible, you should say these three things. I am who the Bible says I am. I have what the Bible says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. I am who the Bible says I am. I have what the Bible says I can have. And I, I can do what the Bible says I can do. If we're going to believe everything the Bible says about who God is and everything the Bible says about who the devil is, then we have to believe everything the Bible says about who we are. Understand this. I heard Mark Hankins say this and it's so profound. He said this, God sees you in Christ Jesus, but you have to see yourself in Christ Jesus. There's too many Christians who see themselves just some old dirty sinner. That's what you were. It's who you used to be. But the Bible says, those whom he called, he conforms to the image of his son. You've been, made, you've been made one new man in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.20, listen to this. It is no longer I who lives, Paul said, but Christ liveth in me. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Don't you know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are indeed disqualified? Colossians 3.4, Paul said this. Christ, who is my life, who is my life? He didn't say, there's me and then there's Christ. He is my life. He is, in him I move and breathe and have my being. Ephesians 2, 6, even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together, and made us sit together. I, had, I highlighted together in my Bible because when Jesus died, we died with him. 
You have to understand this, this idea of you being reconciled to Christ. When you, when he, when he died and we put our faith in that work, we died with him. When he was raised up to, the Bible says he, we were raised up together with him. And then when Jesus ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and, 5, and 6, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, God made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I was raised up together with him. I was made alive together with him. And now I'm seated together in him in heavenly places. 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and overcome them because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. I know a lot of these things. Maybe you grew up in a church that said, you know, how many of you know we're nothing and he's everything? No, he lives in you. So you've become something. There's a preacher who used to say, everybody is somebody to Jesus. Everybody is somebody to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus knows no matter how wretched or depraved you are now, if I'll have my blood wash you and my spirit come in you, you'll become a whole new cre creation and a part of my system and a part of my body. And you can be, like Ephesians 2.10 says, my workmanship created in Christ Jesus, prepared and wired for good works and good things. So there's a lot of religion that is wrong. A, wrong, a lot of religious quotes, rather, that are wrong. Telling people that, you know, you're nothing. You're, 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 you're just a raunchy thing. You're, the Bible says, greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. You're never wrong when you quote God about yourself. You're never blaspheming when you speak what the word of God says about you. Some people are so, religion, so religious, they think they know more than God. Some people are so religious, and they've been so brainwashed by false piety and humility false humility, that they think it's prideful to confess what God has made us to be in Christ Jesus. Some people are so brainwashed by false humility and false religion that these scriptures, they probably never even knew they were in the Bible. And even after finding out that they're in the Bible, there's many that would be very careful to repeat it. When I'm in a service and I read 1 John 3, 7, that it says, he that practices righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Meaning, when you become born again, you are righteous even as Christ is righteous. And I have people confess, say, I'm righteous as Jesus is righteous. You'd be surprised at how many people will not let that come out of their mouth because they've been told that, it, you know, no, there's Jesus and then there's us little, you know, minions worthy of nothing. no. Because as he is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4.18. So what I don't say about him, I don't say about me. So that's the secret of boldness. Understanding your union with Christ, that you've become righteous, and now as he is righteous, so are we righteous in this world. Righteousness, understand this. So nutshell of everything I just said. One, understand your union with Christ. Two, understand the new creation realities and the in Christ statements. And then three, what we're going to focus in on, zone in today, specifically of who we are in Christ, is our righteousness in Christ. This is the secret of boldness. This is the secret of why I, I don't care what devil stands in my way, I cast it out. This is the secret for bold preachers. This is the secret for bold Christians. This is the secret of people who aren't shying away in timidity and brought into the fear of man, which brings a snare. This is it. Understanding 
that God has made you righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? It means to have right standing with God. It means to be able to come before God without any sense of inferiority, any sense of condemnation, and any sense of guilt. Why can we be assured that we are righteous even as he is righteous? 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, became sin for us. When Jesus was on that cross, all the sin of the world was laid on him. All the, He himself bore our sin. He carried our iniquity. He who knew no sin, the perfect spotless lamb of God, became, he, he didn't just take on, he became the very thing God hates so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness is a gift. It's not something you can work up. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of life and righteousness is in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in um, Romans chapter 3, let me read this. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. Romans chapter 3, 22. Even the righteousness of God that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believed. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. I'm going to read one more scripture, Romans chapter 5 and 17. For by one man's offense, speaking of Adam's sin and fall. By one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Death, Satan, sin, sickness, lack, poverty, all of it reigned through, through Adam's sin. Satan assumed control over the human race, and rightfully so, Adam ceded. He gave the keys of authority to the devil when he sinned. He said, God's not my master, you are. I, I now recognize you as master, and then Sin became man's master at that point. But listen to this. Much more now those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So Jesus came to take those keys of dominion back from the devil, crack the devil's skull open, defeat him openly, disarm principalities and powers over the at the triumph of the cross, take those keys, hand them back to man, and say, you're back in power, and you'll, you'll rule by my, by, by my power. But notice in Romans 5, 5.17, it says that we have received the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. You cannot grow in it. When you were born again, you were made perfectly and totally righteous at that moment. You cannot get better in righteousness. You cannot ameliorate in righteousness. You cannot improve on the righteousness God has given you. When you were born again, you received the gift of righteousness and you are righteous even as he is righteous. It is a position. It is a position. Yes, there is the practice of righteousness, which is the fruit of that righteous, that, that, that tree of righteousness being planted in you at, at uh, new birth. When you were born again, 
God planted, the Bible says we are plantings of the Lord, trees of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord. God planted in you the seed of righteousness the moment you were born again. The fruit of it is our lifestyle. But regardless of if, you know, I, I messed up yesterday, let's say, I messed up yesterday or the day before, I didn't lose my righteousness the moment I sinned. Understand this. I'm going to be very careful to navigate these waters because Tuesday's broadcast, we talked about holiness and it's 100% accurate what we said. But I want to get this through you. The moment you, let's say you messed up, you made a mistake, you did not automatically lose your righteousness. You repent, get back on track. That righteousness is a position that you have before God. The very fact you're able to come before God and ask Him for forgiveness is a fruit of your right standing with God. So just because the Bible declares you to be righteous, even as He is righteous, does not mean that you're, you're, you're going to live perfectly the rest of your life. You can, certainly. There's a place in God where you can. You don't have to sin. I say that all the time. But there's a lot of people that think the moment they sinned or fell or stumbled that they lost all their righteousness, that they're back at square one, that God wants to strike them with a lightning bolt. When in reality, righteousness is a legal standing that we have with God. And boldness comes, super, see that's where, you know, people, they screw up once and then they lose that sense of righteousness. They, they assume a sin consciousness and then they become prey for the enemy. They come into timidity. They, they, they're, they're victims of shame and reproach because they fail to remind themselves of the truth that my righteousness is not of the works of the law. My righteousness is by faith in Christ Jesus and by faith alone. Now, when you understand that, the fruit will be a holy lifestyle. Don't abuse that. The Bible says those who willfully sin after they've come to the knowledge of this salvation and this righteousness, those who go on deliberately sinning, have trampled on the blood of Jesus, have insulted the spirit of grace, and the Bible says of how much worse punishment do you suppose they'll be counted worthy? So we don't take this information and go out, oh, I guess I can do it. No, because you know this information, you're actually held at a higher standard. You're held at a higher standard. So I want to drill this in you. The moment you're born again, you are 100% righteous. The guy who's been living for Jesus for 55 years is not more righteous than the guy who's been living for Jesus for 55 minutes. The guy who has been the pastor who has planted 1,500 churches and has 150,000 people in his congregation scattered throughout the earth is not more righteous than the person who literally just was born again and entered into the kingdom of God. Because it's not something you can earn or add on to. Redemption. Redemption has made you righteous. Because redemption is deliverance through the payment of a price. What did we need delivered from? Sin. The nature of sin. What was the price? Blood. Perfect blood. So the gospel isn't about what God's going to do one day to make us righteous. It's what when Jesus shed that blood for us. What he did at that moment, we believed to make us righteous. I'm not going to be righteous when I get to heaven. I'm righteous now. I have right standing. I can come before God without any sense of inferiority, pure, without blemish, as though God were looking on Christ himself because of the blood of Jesus. Redemption 
And your righteousness, the moment you believed, is an established fact. It's not something that we're looking forward to having one day. No. You read Paul's letters. Read Paul's letters. Underline all the, the God has, who did, who has, all the past tense words that precede the wonderful blessings that he gives us. Paul's letters were written in past tense format. Doesn't say who will qualify us one day. Colossians 1.12 says, who hath qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. It doesn't say who will redeem us from the curse of the law. It says who has redeemed us from the curse of the law. It doesn't say who will deliver us one day from the kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1.13, who has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. Doesn't say for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will one day set us free from the laws of sin and death. My friend, it says who the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free or has set us free from the laws of sin and death. The same goes for righteousness. It says he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of Christians that don't understand that. They're in the same prison cell they were in before they got saved. They're just sitting there hoping for a rescue, hoping that someone will come and bring them a, 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 a shovel so they can dig themselves out and finally break free. And that once they break, this is the problem. This is a problem with a lot of Christians. They think they got to dig themselves out. They got to sort things out before they... Uh, they can experience freedom when in reality Jesus sorted it all out Jesus was the one that paid the high price for us to walk in freedom and then secondly the moment they experience moments of freedom they have this idea that they can risk being caught in their freedom and brought back into bondage let me not screw this up you were legally declared free by God the judge of all the earth you're not experiencing an illegal freedom hoping the devil does not find you out. You're not experiencing an illegal righteousness hoping the devil does not find you out. You have experienced legal freedom. And the enemy now has no legal right to impede on your business. And righteousness, when you understand righteousness, this is where that holy violence comes from. I'm right with God. Devil has no right on my property. He has no right to, exude, to, 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 uh, to trespass and the boundaries that righteousness has set up in my life. He has no right, no legal right to come anywhere. That's why the Bible says pestilence, sickness, darkness will stalk in darkness, but it will not come near you. It can try all, it's want, all it wants to come near. It can't come near me because I've been made righteous. What does it mean to be made righteous? It means to live in a state of divine favor or being pleasing, accepted, and approved by God. Realizing that you don't have to strive for approval. Realizing that you don't have to strive to, to please God. I just, I just gotta, No, you're in Christ. You please God. People think that they can never please God. You can please God. If Job, under no covenant, was able to please God, the Bible says he was a man that pleased God and did what was right, how much more now, you being in Christ, can you please God? You don't have to strive for approval. 
The Bible says we have been accepted in the beloved, Jesus being the beloved. The moment you came in Christ, you were accepted in heaven, accepted in God's eyes. That righteousness comes through the blood of Jesus. That's why I preach all the time. I'm always talking about the blood. Because if there was no blood, there's no victory. If there was no blood, we're, we're in the same predicament that we were before Jesus came. Jesus just came and died and didn't shed any blood. <laughs> it's, the, it's in the shedding of blood that there's remission of sins. Hebrews chapter six, uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Let me read this. Hebrews chapter 9, if you're just tuning in now, you do me a lot of help if you share the broadcast. We have over 200 people watching, which is wonderful. Hebrews chapter 9 four, and verse 11. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. Verse 12, pay special attention to this. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. I love what another translation says. It says permanent deliverance. Hallelujah. Brother, I need to be delivered of this. Brother, I need to be delivered of that. When you look to Jesus and put your faith in that blood, the Bible says it's a permanent deliverance. Meaning there, there's nothing that Jesus has to do to deliver you. What he did marked permanent deliverance. You know, it, we know that you're saved, but you know, you're going to have to recant this. You're going to have to renounce that. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to, if you want to be truly delivered, we're going to have to. No, the moment I got saved, I renounced the hidden things of shame and darkness. I looked to the blood of Jesus. That marked my permanent deliverance. I want you to write that in the comment section. There's an anointing on that. Permanent deliverance. Permanent deliverance. The blood of Jesus gives me permanent deliverance. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more? So he's saying if a natural bull that was shed, uh, that shed its blood, that they used to take the blood and perform the ceremonial cleansings and all that in the temple, if the natural blood had power to provide temporary atonement, over the people of God in those days, uh, writer of Hebrews writes, how much more shall the blood of Christ, if the natural blood of a bull had power to sanctify for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's the thing that the, 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 the blood of bulls and goats and calves and lambs and all that could not do. All of that could temporarily, temporarily alleviate, not alleviate, temporarily sweep under the rug sin for the people of Israel in those days. It temporarily, it put like a band-aid on the sin, but the band-aid always peeled off and the next year they had to do the same thing because the people constantly carried the consciousness of their sin. They never forgot their wrongdoings. They never forgot their guilty past. They constantly carried a sin consciousness because the blood of a goat and the blood of a bull could not take away their sin. It just temporarily covered it up. What the blood of a goat could not do, the blood of the Lamb of God came to do. Not just to take away the sin and sweep it under a rug, 
but to bury it in the sea of forgetfulness and then impute. The Bible calls it imputed righteousness. Impute means to be given, to be delivered. So God delivered to us. He has given us his righteousness instead of our sin, shame, and guilt. So that now I don't have, I don't carry the sin consciousness anymore. I don't go around looking like the third guy from the left on the evolution chart, thinking I'm just some old sinner saved. No, I've been saved by grace. I, have a, I carry a righteousness consciousness. I, I believe I've been, you know, like God prophesied in Isaiah 1. I'm going to reason with you, and though your sins are as red as scarlet, I'll make you as white as snow. I'll make you as white as snow. So righteousness, that, that righteous consciousness comes when you look to the blood and you see all that the blood has done for you. 1 Peter 1.18 says, we were not redeemed by perishable items such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of a lamb without spot, without wrinkle. If all, humankind, all humanity need, needed was gold or money to bail us out of this predicament of sin that we we're in, God would have chipped off something from the streets of gold in heaven and cast it down to the earth and that would have been it. But no, it wasn't gold. It wasn't traditions. Tradition can't save you. Religion can't save you. The Bible says, what, uh, we were not redeemed by perishable items, but by the precious blood of a lamb without spot and without wrinkle. That's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold, the lamb of God that taketh away, removes the sins of this world. Ephesians 1.7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. So when you know that, you realize that the blood of Jesus positions you to come before the Father in the same, in the same, the blood of Jesus positions you to come before the Father in the same standing that Jesus has. Hallelujah. Remission of sins is not just the uh, temporarily, uh, temporary allevi allevi alleviation of the burden of sin. It literally, you know when the Bible says we've been justified by faith, literally that word justification means to be totally, uh, how do you say it? It's a legal term. Anyways, justification means to be in a position where it's just, if, just as if you'd never sinned. Just as if you've never sinned. God, in his computer that records all of man's sin, he went to your name, pulled your file up, and clicked delete. Click delete. Click delete. So the problem isn't on God's side. I just, I don't know if I can call myself righteous. It's not on God's side. He already called you. He declared you to be righteous. The problem resides with us. Whether we're going to line up our confession with God and believe what God said he's made us to be or we're going to buy on to the devil's lies who's the accuser of the brethren, I might add. His ministry is literally to sow thoughts of condemnation into your heart, to sow thoughts of inferiority into your heart because he knows if you don't carry that righteous mindset, you're going to soak and wallow in the mire of shame and guilt and you'll be rendered useless. Useless. Then there's Christians that think, you know, well, I know I'm righteous, but I haven't attained to that 
to that level of righteousness that I want to be at. There's only one level. There's first-class righteousness and first-class only. You know, when you go and fly on an airplane, you have first-class and an economy, and in an economy, it's like when you fly first-class, they treat you like you're on a street of gold. They treat you like you're the queen and the king. They roll out the red carpet. They bring, if you, if you fly first class, they bring you everything. They got that pillow before you even ask. They got the headset before you even ask. Then you fly economy and what happens? You ask for a pillow, hour one of the flight and hour seven of the flight, they're still working on getting you that pillow. And then somewhere in the hour one of the flight, they even take a curtain and they shut it so that you can't even peek into first class because they don't even think you're worthy to even look at it. That's how some Christians are. They think they have an economy level ticket to heaven where they have economy righteousness and economy power and economy privileges. But in reality, in redemption, we all have first class righteousness and first class privileges. So I want to go through three, three things that will be unlocked through your boldness because of your understanding of, right, of your righteousness in Christ Jesus. Understanding righteousness will unlock boldness to do these three things. That's a better way to say it. Understanding righteousness will unlock boldness to do these three things effectively. Number one, Understanding righteousness will make you bold to pray kingdom advancing prayers, hell shaking prayers, and promise acquiring prayers. James 5.16 says, it is the, fer the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that makes tremendous power available and it's dynamic in its working. Meaning prayer will not be dynamic in its, per, in its working, neither will it make tremendous prayer, uh, power available if the prayer, it doesn't matter how fervent you are in prayer, if you don't understand your righteousness in Christ and what that means for our access to the Father, you're not gonna tap into that power that prayer uh, makes available to the believer. Hebrews chapter 10, listen to this. Therefore, verse 19, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest, hallelujah. Having what to enter into the holiest? Boldness. To enter into the holiest, how? Where does the boldness come from? By the blood of Jesus Christ. So when you understand what the blood did for you, it, it puts a boldness in you to actually enter into the very presence of God. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Verse 22, this is important. Let us now, so because of the blood of Jesus, because we have boldness, let us now draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience by the blood of Jesus and our bodies washed with pure water. That boldness, the Bible says, come boldly into the throne room of grace and mercy to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. That boldness comes when you have an understanding of your righteousness in Christ, what Christ has made you to be, what the blood of Jesus, how it washed away, it cleansed you from all unrighteousness. It, it literally, it put reboot on your system. If you don't understand your right standing with God, you'll never pray 
you'll never pray boldly and thereby you'll be robbed of efficacy in prayer. You'll never be efficient in prayer. Because there's a level of boldness you have to have. I have a friend who wrote a book, Boldly I Come. You have to have a level of boldness that's not stemming forth from, you know, I'm not bold to pray because, you know, I had a good week this week. You know, let me, let me pray a few prayers today. That's not how I pray. Jesus did everything necessary in his work at the cross to provide me with the boldness needed to a, approach the Father and get grace to help in time of need. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, but now Christ Jesus has brought you who are far off. You've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. He came and preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. For through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Through who? Through Jesus, we have access by one spirit to the Father. You need to be bold when you pray. These shy, timid prayers. Father, you know, I, 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 most people don't even say Father. They just say, God, we just, uh, I just beg you that you do this for me. Th that's not going to be answered. Your prayer will not be answered. Because there's no faith in it. Faith is a product of, of uh, and I'm going to get into that, but faith is literally de dependent. Your faith in approaching God in prayer is dependent upon your understanding of what I just said. The only reason we have access to God is because of the blood of Jesus giving us right standing. It's not because of you having a good week or a bad week. I had a bad week. I'm not going to pray this week. I had a good week. I'm going to add in a few more prayer requests. No. I, I am righteous because of him who made me righteous. And therefore, whether I had a good week or a bad week, I come before the Father in faith. Knowing that he is a good father whose ear is inclined to my prayer. Because the Bible says that his ears hear the cries of the righteous. I'm righteous. So he hears me when I pray. Well, I don't know if he hears me when I pray. Well, then you don't understand your righteousness in Christ Jesus. It's people that don't understand that they're righteous in Christ. That say, well, I don't know if he hears me. I feel like my prayers hit the ceiling. Then you don't, you don't understand the gospel. My prayers aren't hitting the ceiling. The link that was broken, that disconnected me from God, has been restored. When I pray, God hears. 1 John 3.22 says this, Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have such confidence towards God. You know, I don't know where, 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 where people mess up in prayer. Their hearts condemn them and they believe it. The devil sows thoughts of accusation. Their heart believes it and then they condemn themselves. And disqualify themselves from having a fruitful prayer life. The Bible says, beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, then if God doesn't condemn, condemn me, then I don't condemn me. If God, the Bible says there's now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If God does not condemn me, then why are you condemning yourself and disqualifying yourself as a result from having answers to your prayers? If our hearts do not condemn us, we have such confidence towards God. The only prayer God will hear is the prayer prayed in confidence. And not confidence because you had a good week. Confidence because of what Jesus did. And the Bible says, and whatever we ask from him, we receive from him. We receive from him. You have one mediator before, between God and, and you. And it's Jesus Christ. See, people that don't understand this, that are constantly going up and down based on how they performed in any given week, what happens is, is they always 
are trying to contract out the work of prayer to their pastor or someone they think is more holy than they are. Well, I'm not, I'm not qualified to pray that. So, pastor, you mind if you just pray? Why don't you pray? Well, I, I, I could never ask God for that. They think they're, they're not qualified to have access to his divine presence with boldness. They think that they have to go through somebody else. It's the whole problem with the Catholic Church. They got to go to the priest. They got to go to the Pope. They got to go to someone else. The priest ain't, there's only one priest that mediates between me and God, and it's Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm giving you my name. You can ask anything in my name, and I'll give it to you. And I'm giving you my blood, and I'm giving you my righteousness, and I'm clothing you with myself so that you don't have to come to me. Jesus said, you can go directly to the Father in my name and ask what things soever you desire, and it shall be given you. Because the Father loves you, because you believe that I've come forth from the Father. Hallelujah. I don't need another priest. I have the high priest. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the high priest of our confession. The Bible says Christ came as the high priest of things to come. Who can ascend the hill of the most high? Those that have clean hands and a pure heart. How do you get clean hands and a pure heart? By the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleansed you. The blood of Jesus purified you. The blood of Jesus, Hebrews 1 says, has purged us from all sin. So I don't come before God. God, I, I know I'm, I'm just an ugly thing in your eye. No, I come before God. Father. First of all, I say Father. I recognize my sonship. I'm not a slave. I'm not a... I'm not, I'm a bondservant of Jesus, meaning that I've willfully signed up to be his slave and his servant. But God didn't redeem me as a slave. He redeemed me as a son. The Bible says you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Number one, boldness will, imp will greatly improve the results you have in prayer. And understanding righteousness, the secret to boldness, the secret to praying bold prayers is understanding your righteousness in Christ Jesus. Number two, the secret of boldness in faith is understanding your righteousness in Christ Jesus. Romans 1, verse 17, listen to this. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, what's it? The gospel. In the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. People that are always saying, I don't have enough faith, I don't have enough this, they're usually the ones who don't understand this basic principle. The Bible says, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. And when you catch that revelation of the righteousness of God being imputed into you, you go from faith to faith. The Bible says, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the more of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that is revealed to you, the more you progress in faith. You can actually grow your faith. I always say faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can hear the word of God until you go deaf. If you don't understand your right standing before God, all of it will just be wishful thinking. It'll all be hopeful wishing. It'll all just be some dream that God's penned in his book, but not accessible. Understanding that you're righteous before God and the revelation of that righteousness, it actually 
puts you in a place where you don't just hear what God wants you to have from this book, but you can make faith confessions now. Faith decrees. You can't have a vibrant living faith if you're constantly soaking in the mistakes of your past. Sin consciousness will hinder your faith from flowing. It'll hinder you from confessing faith things. It'll hinder you from speaking to your mountain because you're always going to say, well, I don't know if I can say that. Oh, after what I've done. Jesus said, if you have faith in God, you can say to this mountain, be thou uprooted, cast into the midst of the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, the doubts that plague people's heart come, they stem from this unrighteous mindset that they have of themselves. That's where doubts, all doubts come from. I'm not righteous. That's, the, that's like the foundation. The foundation of faith is understanding your righteousness before God. The foundation for unbelief is thinking that you're unrighteous before God. And that's where doubts arise. And when the doubts arise, the Bible says, let not that man who doubts expect to receive anything from the Lord. Abraham, why was he called the father of the faith? Because the Bible says it was reckoned to him. To, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him to be righteous. He received God's righteousness. Abraham was righteous by his faith. And the scripture says he believed God. He didn't just hear he was right. He believed it. He believed that God had made him righteous. And as a result, he had strong faith. You can't have strong faith without believing that you're righteous. You can't have living faith. People who have great faith are those that understand what I'm saying right now. Look at the disciples. The disciples failed. Time and time again throughout the Gospels. Mark 9, they couldn't cast the demon out of that guy. Jesus says, because of your unbelief. You go fast forward to Matthew chapter 14, and Jesus calls Peter on the water. P Peter walks a little bit, but then he sinks. He says, God, save me. And he lifted him up. Why, were there, why was there this, these failures of faith that happened? In the apostles, they had all power and all authority. Jesus had already given them power and authority to cast out demons. Why is it that in Mark 9, they couldn't cast out the demon? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. That unbelief was, I believe, was them. It, it, it came from a lack of understanding of what Christ came to do in their lives. Because you skip forward in post-resurrection, Jesus is raised from the dead. The disciples see Jesus risen from the dead. And there's not one record of the disciples failing to perform a miracle, failing to heal someone that's sick, failing to do anything after that moment. Acts 9, you read through Acts, there's no failures noted of the apostles. Throughout the Gospels, they failed several times in doing things God had already called them to do. They had the power, but because the mindset of righteousness hadn't been downloaded into their spirit yet, their faith was limited. Your faith will be limited by the revelation of your righteousness in Christ Jesus. Bold faith comes when the righteousness of Christ is revealed to an individual. You'll never have faith that your words carry power to change things if you're constantly wallowing and complaining about the regrets of what you've done. No, I don't feel worthy to give a command of faith. I don't feel worthy to do that. Okay, keep on speaking like that. 
Or you can say, I'm worthy because of what Christ did. And so now I can say, back off, devil. Now I can say to the mountain, be thou uprooted and cast into the midst of the sea. Now I can give out faith decrees, declare and decree a thing, and it shall be established because, because of the blood of Jesus. Number two, boldness of faith. Number three, the secret of boldness in casting out demons. This is a good one. Is... Uh, it comes from understanding your righteousness in Christ. Luke chapter 10, listen to this. Luke chapter 10, and beginning with verse 17. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I love it because they came back and said, hey, the demons are subject to us in your name. This is great. You know what Jesus said? Oh, demons? They're master has been slapped out of heaven, and I saw him fall like, lev like lightning to the earth. You think this power and authority only works for demons? It'll work for their master. If I've taken out the master, then all his minions under him will follow suit in his defeat. Verse 19, Behold, I give you power and authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Verse 20 is my focal point on this today. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. So he's saying, don't rejoice because you had, you know, you were casting out demons and now you're going to go around lording over it. The demons are subject to me and all that. But he says, rejoice in this. Because your names are written in heaven. What he was, in there, he was stating is that the reason that you can continue. You thought this was cool? You can continue to do this. You can continue to cast out demons. But understand that your boldness in casting out demons and trampling upon the heads of serpents and scorpions is not because you're an apostle. It's not because uh, you're just close to me right now. It's not because of anything else other than that your names are written in heaven and my righteousness has been imputed unto you. He said the source of power in casting out demons is in nothing else than that your name is written in heaven and you have right standing before God. People that cast out demons effortlessly are people that understand what the blood of Jesus did for them. I've been, by the blood, legally repositioned higher than the devil. The devil's not eye to eye with me. The devil's not, you know, he's not a little over me because he's a spirit being. The devil is under my feet. God has disarmed principalities and powers and made a public show of him openly, having triumphed over him at the cross at Calvary. When you understand that, there's an attitude that comes on you when you see the devil rearing his ugly face somewhere. There's an attitude. Who do you think you are? If I be a man of God, I'll chop you down today. Look at, Dave, look at David in dealing with Goliath. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should talk about the armies of God that way? Who's that uncircumcised? Who's this demon that thinks he's going to steal the attention on my meeting? You know, when David said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? He was saying, who is this one who's out of covenant with God to say what I do when I'm in covenant with God? The devil was in covenant with God once upon a time. He's out of covenant with God. Who is he 
to say, to dictate anything that goes on in my life now. That's why Paul, the Bible says in Acts 16, he was greatly annoyed because there was a demon girl that constantly said, these men are servants of the most high God. Paul being vexed in his spirit turned and said, I adjure you by the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her and never enter her again. That was it. That was it. I said it before in Mark 9, the disciples failed to take authority over that demon that was in the man's boy. And I really firmly believe that it, it was the result of them not understanding redemption and righteousness. Because you go forward in the, in the book of Acts and they never fail to cast out a demon. They were like Holy Ghost bulldozers everywhere they get. Just the, just the, the, the handkerchiefs coming off Paul's body was healing the sick and casting out demons. And remember, Paul's the one that brought the revelation of Christ and his righteousness that's been imputed to us throughout his epistles. So no wonder. I mean, the secrets of men are in their stories. You look at what, you look at the lifestyle Paul enjoyed in Acts, everything he did, casting out demons, literally clearing sickness off an entire island in Acts chapter 28. An entire island of people got healed because of Paul's ministry. Well, you start to write, you start to study what he wrote in his epistles, you realize that the manifestation of that power was direct result or directly determined by the revelation Paul had about who Christ was. And remember, Paul was the one who said that he had received an abundance of revelation of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So a boldness to cast out demons comes on you like, because you realize I'm not, I'm not at the mercy of the devil. I'm not subject to his crap anymore. I, redemption repositions me so that I'm over the devil. Remember I said it before, we are seated in Christ. Where is seated? Where is Christ seated? Far above principalities, far above demons, far above the devil's headquarters. Where you are, the devil has no access to any longer. The Bible says he's been booted out of heaven and there's no place found for him any longer in heaven. Where you are, he has no access to. You're, you're on the hierarchy of things. You're far above. The devil is like the, the bottom of the barrel. He's a bottom feeder now. You're far above. You have to see yourself like, as such. If you keep reminiscing on the mistakes of your past, you're never going to, you'll never, the devil will laugh and openly mock you when you try to cast him out. That's what happened to the seven sons of Sceva. We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out of them. Paul I know because he's redeemed and he's righteous because of his redemption. Jesus I know, he's the righteous king. The demon said this, but who the heck are you? You've not been unified with Christ. I can tell you don't understand righteousness and all that. You're, you're unrighteous. You're not even in Christ. And the Bible says, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on him, beat him up, beat up the seven sons of Sceva, ripped off their clothes so that they left the house bruised, wounded, and naked. You can't, you can't rely on somebody else's righteousness. Pastor's righteousness. Jesus died so that you can have his righteousness imparted to you so that you can have the boldness to deal with demons anywhere you might, you might find yourself. So the Bible says rejoice. Don't rejoice because you're something special. 
That's the thing is people think they have to like jump, jump through seven different hoops before they have power and authority to cast out demons. When in reality, Jesus said, the power to cast out demons has nothing to do with you being an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, a teacher. It has everything to do with the fact that your name is written in heaven and you're righteous because of it. Number four, I'm going to finish with this. The secret to boldly preaching the gospel lies in your understanding of righteousness. People are shy to preach the gospel because they're not convinced of what it offers. When you don't understand redemption and righteousness and uh, you don't have a profound understanding of that, you shy away from telling others because you're not really, you have no knowledge of the product that you're trying to bring to someone else. And that's where shyness and timidity comes in. When you understand that the gospel is the revelation of the righteousness and mercy of God towards humanity, and that access has been given to all to return to God and taste of that same redemption power, boldness comes on you. Every time I do a crusade, I don't look at the crowd and say, oh man, uh, I, don't know. I don't know if I have anything to offer them. I don't know. If no. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because in it is the power of God and in it is the righteousness of God. Two things people crave. People crave power to set them free and people crave right standing with God. So when I get up to do a crusade, I say to myself, I have what the people want and the people want with what I have. And I program my mind that way. When I go up to tell the gospel to someone, I preached it to my hairdresser the other day. And I, I, I recite that. I, I have. It blows out any sign of timidity or shyness or intimidation or fear of man or whatever. Because you have to realize this. Not everyone's equal in the sight of God. Not everyone's equal in life. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We all come. We all sin falling short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter if you're rich, poor. Doesn't matter if you're a free slave. Doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. We're, the ground is level at the cross. But understand this. Once you become saved, those who aren't in Christ are not at the same level as those who are in Christ. I know a lot of people don't, they don't, <laughs> they don't like this type of talk, but it's true. We're not all on the same level. These people think, these Christians think they're holier than thou. Yeah, we are. We are. The Bible says that he's made us holy and without reproach. The Bible says that he's made us a spotless bride without spot, without wrinkle, a glorious bride. Bible says that um, as he is, so are we in the world. So we're at a, we are at a different level. As a born-again, blood-bought, redeemed child of God, you've accessed a level that the world can have unless they accept Christ, that the world's not at until they, they accept Christ. When you see yourself on a higher level now, that the people that we need to now... Obviously, the Bible says, I need to clarify this. The Bible says that he desires to be the greatest, must become slave and servant to all. So we're to serve people. You're not to walk around like with a chip on your shoulder as if you're the best thing since sliced bread. What I do mean, though, is that there should be no shyness thinking that, you know, they're over you. When you're preaching to someone that they're, you know, they're smarter than you or they've got, you know... Uh, you know, we're Christians and we have access to this, but they also have that. No, they have access to nothing. The Bible says they're dead in sin. You're alive in Christ. So you have to see yourself as on a higher level. You have to see yourself on a different playing field. It's like, this is why, this is why I'm saying this. Because like, if, if you had like Tom Brady, 
who's future Hall of Fame quarterback. If he went and played a few games with little league football players, 12-year-olds, do you think he'd be shy? Do you think he'd be like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make this game. I don't know how I'm going to throw a touchdown. Man, I'm really nervous today. He wouldn't be nervous. Why? Because he knows he's at a higher level. He's a pro. He knows that he's attained a higher level. He, he's very well equipped. That's what happens when you see yourself on a higher level. You, you, you start to understand, or, or rather, that, that timidity, that shyness that comes with preaching the gospel leaves you. Because God's not giving you a spirit of fear. Power, love, and a sound mind. Paul saw himself like, like this. He called himself a man in Christ. Well, certainly being in Christ is better than being out of Christ. So you have to see yourself as such. I'm in Christ. I'm born from above. The Bible says he that is born from above is above all. When you start to understand this, the people's faces aren't going to face you. You know what God told Jeremiah? Jeremiah, go and say what I tell you to say. And don't let the people's faces put fear in you or cause you to be afraid. For I am with thee to deliver thee. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No wonder Paul said, with great boldness of speech, so I speak. No wonder he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because he knew everything people crave for is in the gospel. So I'm not going to shy away from speaking it. I'm not going to be timid. I'm not going to tippy-toe around it. I'm going to get straight to the core. Straight to the core. I want to pray for you right now. For those that are watching that lack boldness. I'm going to pray that God would open up the eyes of your understanding so that you'd see your righteous standing in God by Christ Jesus and that that would unlock a new dimension of boldness in your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, your word says that we should pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation be granted to us so that we might have knowledge of him and that the eyes of our understanding would be open to see the hope of your calling, the riches of your glory and the inheritance of the saints and the surpassing greatness of your power towards us who believe. I ask you, Father, let revelation come to your people today. Those that watch now and on the replay. Lord, we know that flesh and blood cannot reveal this to people. Only you can open up the eyes of our understanding to see what I'm truly speaking today. I pray, open up the eyes of their understanding. The 200 that have stuck through Stuck through this one hour and a half teaching. I pray, Lord, that there would be a supernatural quickening of this word in their spirit. That they would see themselves, not as this wretched, ugly thing, but as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Having been freely justified by His grace. Having been saved from the wrath. Having been bought by the blood. Having been washed clean. Having been cleansed and sanctified. In Jesus' mighty name. That that revelation would generate in them a supernatural boldness to do all that you've called them to do. To be all that you've called them to be. To speak all that you've called them to speak. In Jesus' name, I pray right now, let that boldness fall on them. And as I said at the beginning of this broadcast, Lord, we know boldness is not an emotion. But it's the willingness to take a step. I pray, Father, let that boldness that willingness to take a step of action, come on them, even now, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're watching now and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me. You need to get saved. 
can't have this boldness, can't have, I just talked about righteousness for an hour and a half. And that righteousness, I said it, you know, I'll quote in Galatians 2, it says, Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, we have believed in Christ Jesus. For righteousness comes not by the works of the law. If righteousness came by the works of the law, then Christ died in vain. Therefore, as, Christ, as righteousness comes only by Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be made justified by faith and not by the works of the law. Justificate. The Bible says we are justified by faith. We are made right. We have right standing with God. The breach, the, the bridge that had blown up by sin that caused us to be separated from God was filled with Christ. That we have free access now. The gateway to salvation has been opened through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be righteous. You can give a million dollars to the church tomorrow, it won't make you any more righteous than, any, than anyone else in the world. You can, you, can, you can build a church for goodness sakes. You can build a synagogue. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius had built a synagogue for the Jews. And even then... God sent an angel and said, go and fetch for Peter. He's going to tell you the gospel. And only then, by putting your faith in Jesus, will you be saved. Cornelius had given a lot of money to the church. He prayed a lot. But all that was nothing. Until he put his faith in Christ Jesus. Have you ever done that? Have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Do you have right standing with God? The Bible says, if righteousness came by the works of the law, then Christ died in vain. Why did Jesus die? There was a sin problem in mankind and only the blood of Jesus would satisfy the wrath of God, fulfill the demands of justice and purify us of all sin. If you've never done that or if you have but you've fallen away, maybe a divorce, loss of a loved one, tragedy, a job that you lost the last two years, pandemic messed you up, whatever. If you've never given your life to Jesus, or if you have, but something threw you off course and you want to return to Christ today, I want you to pray this with me right now. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. I ask you, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. Forgive me of all sin. Wash me clean by your blood. And I will live for you all my days. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it, fill it out. I want to get some materials to you, a Bible, some books, free of charge, just to welcome you into the family of God and provide you with some resources that are going to build your faith. Also, subscribe to this broadcast, like this video, put on notifications, keep on hearing the Word of God. The Bible says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. All of these things are going to help you. I look forward to hearing from you. Salvationnow.ca, I just got saved. Click it, fill it out. Look forward to hearing from you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.